You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it. With tales from all over the nation, come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Well, hey, 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 AP. Hey, Murph, it is a delight to have you back in, in the podcast. Yes, I am delighted to be back. And I guess, you know, before we start our casual conversation and get into the podcast, um, I listened to your episode from last week, and I was so bummed that our previous chatter didn't make it, which you exp- you explained very well what happened, <laughs> and you were sad that I wasn't on there. But then didn't somebody reach out to you about that um, episode? Yes, and first of all, the world truly missed out on some just <laughs> top-class banter yes. that we're going to have to recreate down the road for them. But <laughs> yes, I failed to neglect the elephant in the room, Ragbri 9, Soggy Monday. Oh. And that is part of why Call was having such a difficult time. So I kind of saved the surprise for last. We're going to have all sorts of columns about Soggy Monday, including the one that he wrote while riding Soggy Monday. We'll have that on the episode next week. Cool. Okay. Because so I know we don't have to hit you with two parrot talks in a row. We'll mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, and I, um, I know. You know, obviously, I wasn't there for Ragbri Nine, but I know Soggy Monday is an epic tale. So I'm pretty excited yes. to hear what you found out about that day. Yeah, it's absolutely legendary in more of a, like an infamous way. Yeah, <laughs> where people are glad they survived it. But yeah, we'll go into it later. Yeah. So speaking of long journeys and like incredible tales, tell me a little bit about your trip to the Katy Trail. Oh yeah. So I've spent I spent all last week in the great state of Missouri, and uh, rode the entire Katy Trail, which um, I think the actual trail, actually there are, some people say 237 miles, and some people say 240, so Mm. say what you will, Um, but actually we ended up doing 311 miles. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, I'll just give you a short synopsis. We took Amtrak, so we left our car in St. Louis, took Amtrak. Uh, The intention was to go all the way to Kansas City on Amtrak, Mm. and there were some train delays. Uh, Apparently, (laughs) I don't quite know how this works, but apparently if another train, I don't know if they're on the same track or a Mm -hmm. neighboring track, uh, they have the right of way, so yes. Amtrak had to put the brakes on, stop the train to wait for that other train to do whatever it was doing, and that turned into like a two-hour delay. So oh, yeah, and you're lucky it's only two hours. Sometimes it's like nine hours. <laughs> oh gosh, wow. Yeah. Well, so because so because of that, you know, at that point, then we wouldn't be getting to Kansas City till well after dark. Mm. We were on our bikes. We weren't really sure what to do, and the conductor was so cool. He's all like. Well, you guys are doing the Katy Trail, right? Because I'm sure he has, you know, everybody who has a bike is doing the Katy Trail. So he whips out his little map and he's like, here's what you do. You get off the train at Sedalia. I'll help you make sure you get your bikes Mm. off. And then camp in Sedalia at the state fairgrounds. And then in the morning, pedal on the Katy Trail to the the beginning and then backtrack Mm. back to Sedalia. He was genius. So that was one of our days where, you know, it was an 80-mile day, but literally we were going to the beginning of the Katy Trail and then back to our same spot. So, 
Yeah, which, well, but, you know, my, yeah. I had two goals for this trip, right? Goal number one was to do every mile of the Katy Trail and mm-hmm. success. Check. Goal number two was to see the largest burr oak tree. Oh. Which oh. I got to see, which is a whole different story. And um, if anybody wants to, go over to the Morphology Podcast, and my entire episode is about the Katy Trail. So I'll tell a little bit oh, of how cool. a story about. Um, but this this tree is like over 400 years old. Like, Wow. If trees could talk, man, think of the things yeah. that have happened in this world in 400 years. That's bananas. And the burr oak tree is the state tree of Iowa, even though that one was in Missouri. Oh, really? Oh. Just want to add a little fun fact in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. But yeah. that's a, So that's a morphology episode. Yeah. So go over there yeah. and listen after you listen to this, of course. But of course. Um, And I had to do some another, I don't know, extra eight miles. It was more like 10 miles because I lost my phone on the trail. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I know. And it was dark and Oh, it was crazy. And well, you must have retrieved it because we're talking on the phone now. Yes, thanks to okay. the power of uh, Find My Phone and friends oh. <laughs> who follow me, who track me, <laughs> we were able to make a few phone calls. And uh, luckily, thank you, Will Sharp. My friend Will was sitting at his computer at home and he's all like, okay, you guys, it looks like you're three miles away and it's sitting <laughs> on the right side of the trail. I'm like, wow. So wow. We found it. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, the bonus, you know, since now it was dark that night uh, because we were going to find my phone, I got to see not one, but two armadillos Oh, and then a bunch of possums cool. and s- snakes and frogs, or I'm sorry, toads. So, oh, look at you out in nature. I know. So it was a great trip. And if you want to hear more, go over to Morphology Podcast. But you also were traveling last week, right? That's right. I went to California for our cousin's wedding. Hmm. And the wedding was just north of San Francisco in San Rafael. And little did I know, but I was venturing into the birthplace of mountain biking. What? <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I guess I realized, I knew it was in California, but I didn't realize I was literally going to the heart of mountain biking, or at least the origin of it. Yeah. Um, and it's not just mountain biking. It's one of the most popular biking, biking regions in the U.S., of course, after Iowa. Mm. Or, <laughs> right, yeah. Or maybe something like Bentonville. But there were bikers everywhere there were we were hiking mountain bikers we were driving around road bikers i mean yeah there was a really cool bar slash um fix it shop slash brewery called split rock where uh, i had some fun talking to the people that worked there about rag and um just talking about bikes and looking at bikes and it was just really cool to be in an area that was so cycling focused where there it was just as popular to bike as it was to drive and more power to these people because it is mountainous. Right. <laughs> Hence so, the uh, mountain bike uh, birthplace. Yeah. And I thought here, I thought I was just going to a wedding, but I wish I had my bike the whole time. So I got to go back there and bike sometime. Oh, that's cool. Um, all those but mountain bike trails look pretty gnarly. So I'd have to do like the green circle level, the easy level. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, actually in real mountains like that, even the green routes are pretty gnarly, just oh, so you know. Yeah. Well, I'll bring my helmet. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you might want to bring some uh, arm, you know, elbow and knee pads yeah, as well. Yeah, some pads. Yeah. <laughs> so there's also the um, Marin Museum of Bicycling and Mountain Bike Hall of Fame, which we didn't go into because we didn't have time because I didn't know that all the stuff was there. Well, I should have done my homework, but um, got to go back there someday. It looked really cool. And they had a really cool 
bike sculpture out front. So if you had seen on our social media a picture of me in front of a bike sculpture, that's where I was. Nice. And the birthplace of mountain biking wow. on accident. <laughs> Look at you. I know. I kept expecting to see Gary Fisher like pop out of the bushes somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and be like, where's your bicycle? Oh, man. That's awesome. So Yeah, I, so it was a real treat. Sounds like I need to put that on my bucket list to go there. I know. Well, it's on mine. So cool. there you go. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, we have a fun episode today. Uh, Mr. Mark Wyatt is on. And uh, it's been a while since we've got to listen to Mark Wyatt. And as I'm sure everyone knows, or maybe they don't, but he is the executive director over at the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they do all sorts of important work where safe routes to school for children and they do work for, you know, supporting obviously bike legislature Mm -hmm. legislation. And it's even more important now than ever, because as everyone also knows, there's a big election coming up mm-hmm. where you might want to know who you should vote for, who you shouldn't vote for, as far as people who are pro or con cycling. Yes. You know, I would I would hate to vote for someone who I didn't realize that they were against cycling or cycling laws. You know, I wouldn't want to support that. So, you know, other politics aside, biking is my number one yes. <laughs> talking point. Yeah. And so. I think um, the Iowa Bicycle Coalition became an entity because of a situation like that. This was, yeah. you know, probably 15 years ago, but there was uh, some somebody, of course, I can't remember right now, but somebody uh, who was in office, you know, was mad about cyclists on the road and tried to ban that, tried to ban yeah. bikes from being on the road. And so um, I think insane. at that time, Mark was like, what? This, no way. This is not going to yeah. happen. And so that's how the Iowa Bicycle Coalition came to be. And, you know, fast forward to today, him and his staff are doing all kinds of great thing for, in my opinion, both motorists and cyclists so that we yes. can share the road together. Yes. It, stuff that protects both cyclists and makes it easier for drivers to coexist on the road with the cyclists. I mean, from A to Z, they do all sorts of different amazing things. And I'll let Mark tell all about it because it's truly, it's a lot of stuff. Yes. And he's specifically today going to be talking about a program called District Leaders. So let's Mm. give Mark the mic and let him tell us. Hi everyone. Mark with the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. I wanted to talk to you quick about one of the programs that we have going on, and this is kind of our our superpower of our bike advocacy movement. I mean, think about it. We're not uh, one of those large organizations that's got a lot of money to throw into politics. We've barely got enough money to, to pay the bills now. But what we do have is a lot of bicyclists and a lot of people that love bicycling and a lot of people that want to get involved with the work that we're doing. So we've created this program called the District Leader Program. And basically, um, we have one district leader in each one of the House legislative districts in Iowa. There's 100 different legislative districts. They were just redrawn every 10 years that happens with the census to make sure that they're all kind of proportional and representative of Iowans. And this is really important. Basically, our district leader is that one-on-one contact to each one of the House representatives. And right now, we don't have legislators. We have candidates because uh, they need to be elected 
in order to uh, become House members. So our district leaders are responsible at this point for trying to meet with each one of the candidates, and we're trying to do that before the election begins. And it's amazing because when there's an election on the line, they really want to meet with people from their home district. And they're also a little more agreeable, which is great for what we're trying to do. Um, We also have run into the problem that uh, this was really obvious with the hands-free cell phone legislation required while driving. And um, we met with the House and they said, you know, we're, we're... We can pass this, but we're going to wait and see if the Senate can pass it. Senate sat there and said, hey, we're going to wait for the House to pass it. We're not sure if they can. Basically, both sides weren't talking to each other. So we're going to get in the middle of this. And that's where our district leaders are going around and meeting with every House district and every senator or or every candidate in the House and every candidate in the Senate. And... um, Figuring out where they stand on our, our three big priority issues right now, and that's changing lanes to pass bicycles, making that a requirement for operations. Uh, number two, uh, hands-free cell phone use required while driving. Uh, and number three, standardizing penalties in fatal bike crashes. So we've, uh, we've done our homework and, and a bit of the work it takes to uh, get our district leaders prepared um, so we've got a directory of all the House and the Senate candidates on our website. We've got a sample email where our district leaders can use to contact them and set up their meeting. And then uh, we've also got a, a district leader directory because, you know, obviously you have a senator that covers two different House districts combined, and that's a Senate district. So uh, all of our Senate or all of our district leaders. Uh, maybe one-on-one with their representative, but they're two district leaders to every one senator. So we can tag team a little bit, or, you know, if we have double the meetings in the Senate, that's not a big deal. Anyhow, so, but to facilitate that, we created this password-protected district leader directory uh, so people can look up who their district leader is, and then we don't have a bunch of lists floating around out there. Um and the next thing we do is, is once they've contacted their legislator, it's time to have a meeting. And ideally, we want that to happen face-to-face. Um, but um, if they need to do it by phone or even, you know, last chance by email, that would work too. So we've created a, a set of district leader talking points. There's a whole worksheet that they can use uh, that gives them kind of the details of, of what these policy recommendations are. And then we've created a leave-behind sheet because that's important that you give them some information to take down so they can do some more research on their own. And then finally, uh, once that meeting happens, we're collecting all the information, uh, what what they support, what they want to co-sponsor, what they don't support, and put that into a form uh, on our website. Um, And certainly the, the other piece that we really love to have is a new advocacy toolkit. And this marks, marches our advocates through the process, how to be a successful advocate, how to have meetings with your legislators at the Capitol, um, and uh, how the whole legislative process works. So we've got a toolkit on our website that you can download. It's only about 20 pages long. It's a really quick read, um, but it's available. 
so you can have more information on what's going on. So far, our district leaders have held 23 meetings, and all of them have been very supportive and very bipartisan. In fact, it surprised us in some districts where we didn't think we had support. We actually have really strong support. And the other thing that surprised us is every every legislator seems to have a bike story in their background. You know, they, they've biked across the country or they bike on the trail near their house or, you know, they've got relatives that ride bikes a lot. And so we're finding, and there's much more support uh, than we've ever anticipated. So literally, this is our superpower. The grassroots district leaders, the people willing to stand up and take action, this is where it's at. And we've done our work on our end to try to make it as easy as possible. So far, we've uh, we've recruited district leaders in 85 of the 100 House districts. We've got about 15 left that we're still working on recruiting. Um, and every one of those districts are really important. So we'll see what happens uh, when it comes down to getting all these final reports tabulated and together. But so far, if this trend continues, we're heading in the right direction. We've got 23 meetings left. We've got, you know, there's 200 candidates running for House and Senate. So we've got a lot of meetings left to go. Uh, but this is this is where it's going to make or break Iowa bicycle and advocacy. And uh, hopefully this is what it means when we start moving our policies forward. Because remember, you're a voter in your district. And if you're talking to the candidate that you vote for, you can hold them accountable. If they tell you, yeah, yeah, I support that, but they don't vote for it or they don't they don't fight for it when they get to Des Moines, you can hold that candidate accountable. And having a relationship with your legislator is really what makes this this superpower happen. You know, and it, it doesn't happen by just one email. But you start to have meetings and you start to see them in the home district, it makes a huge difference. Anyhow. That's my advocacy update for this week. Mark Wyatt with the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. Thank you for listening. And stay tuned because we're just getting started. Well, listeners, that is it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at just go bike podcast at gmail.com or you can also follow us on social media at just go bike on facebook twitter and instagram please rate review and subscribe to this podcast especially if you're a fan and if you have any extra time pop on over to the morphology podcast for more bike adventure interviews all right that's a wrap we'll be back next week until then just, just go bike, bike.